0: This morning, our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Let us remain standing in in honor of the Gospel. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Well, good morning, Faith, on this World Communion Sunday. What a great blessing it is for us to be able to share in this gift of the sacrament of the table this morning. I look forward to sharing that with you, whether you are here with us in the sanctuary, whether you are joining us online, and if you're online, I just want to give you a heads up. Make sure you have your communion elements ready. Our gospel text this morning is certainly a call to brave faith. And you would know, perhaps, that for the last three weeks, we've been hearing this call to courage, exhibiting a a brave faith through Tom Berlin's book by the same title. In fact, many of our faith groups are joining us in this sermon series as we learn together what courage means when you're a Jesus follower. And so I just want to say this morning, I am proud of you, Faith. You have done amazing work as you've engaged these different topics each week. If you were looking for one chapter out of the Gospels in which to teach about courage, it would be Luke chapter 9. So I just want to give you a brief outline of the rest of this chapter. We read the very first portion, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus sends the 12 disciples. But very, the very next thing that happens is that they feed the 5,000 through Jesus' leadership. And then Jesus asks that all-important question to Peter, Who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And then Jesus gives that very hard call. If you want to follow me, you must take up your cross. And then Jesus goes up the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And is transfigured there before them with Moses and Elijah standing on either side. They come back down the mountain and the glow doesn't last very long. They head into a situation where Jesus is called upon To heal a boy with a demon. And then in Luke chapter 9 verse 51. It is the pivot point of Luke's gospel. The scripture says that Jesus in that moment. Sets his face toward Jerusalem. From there on out. It is set. And you remember what happens in Jerusalem. Certainly a call to courage. And then finally at the end. Someone approaches Jesus and says I want to follow you. But I need to go and bury my parents. And he says no you don't. You need to follow me. Obviously, following Jesus is a call to sacrifice. It's a call to make decisions that have real consequences. And sometimes it involves hard work. It is also a call that allows us to align our lives with what matters most. And really to live into a freedom that most desire but never really find. So I want you to know, friends, this call that Jesus gives us to be a follower is all the way worth it. It is the best call you will ever receive. Still, if you've been promised a life of plenty and ease as a gold star for following Jesus, we just need to say this morning at the beginning of this sermon, that's not what Jesus says is going to happen. Courage is a call to brave faith and courage is necessary for Jesus' followers, because some of what we will be called to do is hard. That's why today our focus is on fortitude. Fortitude and courage, I'm sure, go hand in hand, but they're not really the same thing. As Pastor Heather and I were working together on this particular sermon, we were trying to get at what what do we mean when we use the word fortitude, because it's not a word that's really used commonly in our culture and in our language back and forth with each other. And so we did a little exercise together where we came up with the synonyms for fortitude and the antonyms. These were the synonyms we came up with, words that we think are similar enough that they could even stand in for the word fortitude. Strength, endurance, perseverance. And those are all necessary as a Jesus follower. Then we went to the antonyms, the words that would be the opposite, and those were a little harder. But these were the ones we came up with. Lazy, weak, afraid, unfocused, pushover. And what I realized in that moment, and Pastor Heather and I discussed, is that that's really our natural drift. And it was the drift of the disciples as well. What I noticed most, however, was that it has been my drift during the pandemic. Instead of leaning into strength, endurance, and perseverance, which we all did the first six weeks, right? Yay, we can do this. Come on. We'll pull together. We'll do what needs to be done. We'll make the sacrifices, and then in the sixth month, And the 10th month and the 11th month, it became harder, harder to hold on to that initial uh, gift there. And so I, I was really thinking about this in terms of the antonyms for fortitude, lazy, weak, afraid, unfocused, pushover. And I realized that for me, the most damaging enemy during the pandemic has been futility. It's, it's that sense that so much is out of our control that we just sometimes want to give up. And I began to wonder if the real antonym for fortitude might actually be futility. If that's actually the opposite of this gift of strength and endurance and perseverance. So I would suggest to us this morning that we would take that question to the text. Do you think the antonym for fortitude could be futility? And if that is the case, then what might be in the text for us this morning? Let's let's hear again the way the text begins. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now that, friends, is a pep rally. Right? Can you just hear the band playing? Right? And all of the rah, 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 all the cheers together. This is... Amazing. Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I give it to you. And then he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, to do what he has been doing. The 21st century word for what Jesus gave them in that moment is agency. You know why futility is so dangerous? Because it convinces us that nothing we do will ever make a difference. And even just a little bit of agency of, no, you know what? I can make a choice. No, I do have what it takes. Yes, I can stick in there and hang with this a little bit longer. Jesus knows that the charge he has given to his disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. To repent, to come back to to who God is calling his people to be. And then with that power and authority to step into situations where healing is needed and to provide it, Jesus knows that that is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And they're simply not going to be able to do that under their own power. They don't have a reservoir deep enough to accomplish the mission he is giving them. Even though the pep rally is great, there's still the fourth quarter. Right? Right? They have to count on a much deeper reservoir. Jesus knows that. In John chapter 14, Jesus calls that reservoir the Holy Spirit or the advocate, the one who will be there and teach you and show you all of that which I have brought to you as the Messiah. And so he's pointing them to that reservoir. And so in the midst of that, he wants to give them instructions about how it is that you stay close To the gift of the Holy Spirit. To stay in proximity. He gives them three instructions. The first thing he says is, don't take anything for your journey. Notice there was that whole list. Not a bag, not a staff. Don't even take an extra tunic. If I said to you today, go ahead and head to Oklahoma City. You're walking. Okay? Don't even take a water bottle whoa, don't even take an extra pair of shoes. In order for you to do that, friends, this is what Jesus is asking of them, in order for you to do that, you have to exercise your trust muscles. And that's what he wants them to do. He wants them to have to trust. It goes even beyond choosing to trust. No, they have to trust. They have to count on God's provision. And then he gives them the second instruction. He says, whatever house you enter, that's where you're to stay because there was this practice as people would go out on their missionary journeys to enter into a town and to see how many would offer to host them and then pick the very best house, right? It's what we do when we get on the Internet and look up hotels. And he says, no, stay in the first house you enter. You know why? Because that teaches us to be content, To accept what we're given instead of always looking for the next bigger, better. That's a very important lesson in staying close to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he says, and when you leave that town, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. In the leadership circles, the word for this is fail fast. Right? Be decisive. Get in there. Give it your best. But don't spend a whole lot of energy on that which isn't going to change. So Jesus offers these three beautiful instructions about how it is we stay close to the reservoir of the Holy Spirit because, friends, what Jesus calls us to do, we will not do on our own. And if we get too far away from the reservoir of the Holy Spirit, futility will always be our natural drift. As I've been reading each chapter of Berlin's book, I watch him develop this underlying premise. He never says it directly, but the premise is that we don't generate courage on our own, which is not the message you will most normally hear. In fact, where Berlin is going is that we cannot generate enough courage on our own to follow Jesus. It's not possible. I don't know about you, but that is good news to me. I am so glad that I don't have to generate my own defense against futility. Instead, I just simply have to stick close enough to the Holy Spirit so that fortitude will be revealed, that courage will be revealed. That's what you begin to see in his book. It's not about sort of ginning that up from within, say, I'm going to be courageous today. No, it's to stay close enough to the Holy Spirit goodness that courage is then revealed within you. In today's chapter, Berlin tells about trying to keep his neighbor's chicks alive during the coldest snap of February. He he tells the story about how his neighbor was called out of town rather suddenly and brought over 20-plus young chicks to Tom's house and said, Can you keep these little chickens for me? Along with their cage and their water and their food and their heat lamp, Tom says. And his neighbor instructed Tom to be sure the heat lamp was working. Not make sure they have water, not make sure they have food, not make sure their cage is cleaned out. He said, no, no, the most important thing is to make sure that heat lamp is working. And so Tom looked in the sack that his neighbor had brought over to him to see, you know, what supplies were in there. And there was a backup heat lamp and a backup for the backup. And he said to his neighbor, isn't that a little bit overkill? And you know what his neighbor says? Not if you're a chick in February, right? That was a beautiful story to me, and I went, I get it, right? Because just yesterday morning at the breakfast table, my husband Kurt and I were talking about the different seasons of serving churches over the past 20 years and how in many of those seasons, ministry was easier and more fruitful. And you know that, right? Being the church There have been seasons where it has not been as hard as this season is. There have been seasons where starting another worship service automatically translated to more members. You could just count on it. And hiring more children and youth staff translated to more families connected to your church. Bam, just like that. A plus B equals C. And building a bigger building automatically meant you were going to have more people on Sunday mornings. Friends, that is not the season we are in any longer. And the pandemic has forever shifted the landscape away from that reality. What we should be clear about, friends, is that that landscape was already shifting before March of 2020. Kay? If you look at the whatever metrics you choose to to measure churches by, and particularly in our denomination in the United Methodist Church, we have been in decline since 1968. So it's not as if this just happened in March of 2020. But what happened in March of 2020 is that at least in March of 2020, you could see where we have been in the rearview mirror if you looked hard enough. And you can't anymore. And in this new season of what it means to be the church, where we actually have to choose much more intentionally to be in community to come and to worship together to offer opportunities that we never had to offer before like a live stream right in this new season futility which is our natural drift creates this desire to pull over and squint i don't know how you all feel when you drive away from colorado on on i70 you know but i have this desire to pull over in that last rest stop just before you hit Kansas and be like, oh, the mountains, right? You can see them in the rearview mirror. And then there gets to be that point where you just can't see them anymore. They kind of fade into the atmosphere. That's what futility will do for us, friends. It makes us want to pull over and squint, try to see it in the rearview mirror. And fortitude, on the other hand, directs our eyes out the front windshield because we're not going back going forward. So I want to offer again these instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples when he says, you're going to have to have courage in the call that I have given to you. You must trust God's provision. You must learn to be content. And you need to fail fast. That's what Jesus said would reveal fortitude in the disciples and likely it will be so for us as well. You could argue that we are chicks in February, church, right? We're not six months down the road from being a little chick where all our adult feathers are in, and it's now June or July. And and we can have a few more, uh, that we've got a little bit more margin and a little more cushion. That's not probably where we are. And so what I would say to us, friends, is we better not get too far away from our heat lamp because futility is at the ready. I don't know what it is that keeps you next to the heat lamp. But I can tell you that my discovery has been that I have to have a rhythm every day of placing myself in proximity to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to mention three of those disciplines for you this morning that I have found to be ones I go back to over and over and over again. One is to participate in the sacraments. It's a great gift. I love being with you at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings because we always have communion together. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, said you should take communion as often as you can because God's grace is uniquely present in that moment. And certainly when we get to celebrate a baptism, can you just feel the Holy Spirit goodness? And so making sure that you can participate in those sacraments as often as you can has been very important for me. Another has been to develop the daily rhythm of morning and evening prayer. And for me, I have to have a guide. I use a prayer book because I need that order and that routine of praying in the morning and acknowledging the gift of living my life as a Jesus follower. And then in the evening, looking back over my day and saying, where did I do, go- where did I do well, where did I do good, and where do I need to improve? Asking for forgiveness. And trusting that God will restore me overnight so that I can wake up again in the morning and be grateful. That that rhythm has been very important for me. And the last one I'll mention to you is tithing. There is no spiritual discipline that has ever taught me more about trust and more about being content than to tithe. So those are things that help keep me close to that heat lamp. John Wesley called these three, along with a few others, the ordinary means of grace. These are the ways God most often reaches us and perfects us in faith through those daily disciplines. And it's true that at God's prerogative, God can offer what Wesley termed the extraordinary means of grace. And we might define that as miracles or supernatural inbreakings of the divine. I would remind you, though, That is not what Jesus called his disciples to count on. Even when their charge was to produce these supernatural inbreakings of the divine for those that they would uh, enter into their towns. They went there to offer healings. But that is not what Jesus called them to count on. No, Jesus told them to trust God's provision, be content, and fail fast. This is the good news for us today, friends, that in the midst of futility, fortitude is absolutely possible. Absolutely. We're not going to find it by trying harder, but it will be revealed in us when we stick close to the heat lamp. So this morning, I want you to know that God has already provided for us. Christians all around the world are receiving today Holy Communion. It's World Communion Sunday. I don't know if you perceive this, but it has been my perception that our world and our culture is divided right now. That there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of bitterness, there's a lot of uh, angst. And I just think about what a wonderful witness it is that on World Communion Sunday, Christians all around the world from every shade of skin color that's possible in every language, that is spoken, they all come to the communion table. What a gift. So let us celebrate with them the way that God meets us at the table, sustains us here on this World Communion Sunday. Amen.